Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Our gospel lesson this morning is Luke's gospel, chapter 12. We'll be starting in the 32nd verse and reading through the 40th verse. But let's pray together before we, before we do that. Oh God, we gather around your table so thankful for your presence with us in every way. We pray now that your Holy Spirit will move in a very powerful and real way as we open your word and try to understand what it is to love like Jesus in this age of division, this place where we live. Help us, O God, to hear your voice, to receive what you say to us today, to be both encouraged and challenged and to live differently because of what your son Jesus teaches us. We pray it all in his name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when they may open the door, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. You've probably noticed, uh, even if you're just kind of half paying attention like, like I do most of the time, we are living in an age of division not seen in a very long time. That's where we are. Distrust, contempt, hatred, suspicion, questioning of motive, why it just undergirds everything. You, you who are educators, you're going back to work in the midst of this. Our politicians are trying to get, things, to get good things done before either getting booted out or caught up in some web of deceit. 
Our leaders are trying to lead people whose responsiveness is subject to change with the posting of one sketchy social media video. Generations of our young people rapidly descend into a terrifying apathy from which we just might not be able to recover. The pandemic really accelerated this dynamic that was already at play. You all know that. You've, you have felt it too, just like I have. About a year and a half ago, I, I read a book written by a conflict resolution specialist called David Brubaker, and I, I thought I was going to find, to learn from him, that things aren't as bad as they seem. It was kind of a, a, an historical analysis of where we've been as a nation. I thought, oh, he's going to help me see that, hey, it's okay. It's not really as bad as we think it is. That is not actually what I found out as I read that book. He backed us through uh, conflict and division in our nation through the years, all of these different historical time periods. He compared the present time with uh, the Vietnam War and all the social upheaval that happened at that time. So very bad. It was so bad. Some of you lived through that. But it wasn't as bad as some of the things we're experiencing now. He looked at the civil rights time period when all of that work was happening, lots of violence and hate, but nowhere near the animosity and distrust currently experienced. He looked at the Great Depression, a time when the blame game was being played everywhere, when you had the haves and the have-nots, when everything was just a terrible disaster and a mess, people were suffering in so many ways. Not so bad when we're still consistently choosing to widen the gap between rich and poor while all parties pretend like we're fixing it when we all know that we're not. Go back even further, the Civil War. Surely we haven't reached that point. Surely we're not as bad as we were in the Civil War. Brubaker suggests, oh, yes, we are. We have indeed reached that point, just in a very different way. In our case, we are more divided along more fronts than we were back then. We just haven't started shooting each other yet. Unless you ask the children at Uvalde and other places like them, it's different, it's worse. It's an uncivil war that's already started beneath the surface. No, no, we go back even further, the Revolutionary War. Brubaker says, we are as divided ideologically, intellectually, financially, socially, and politically as we were before the Revolutionary War. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? It is an age of division, which we haven't seen in a very long time. I argued with him as I read the book about his conclusions, and it helped me a lot to think through five levels of conflict that we see in societies and even in our own families. You'll recognize some of these from your own house, so these make a lot of sense. Level one is just basic conflicting goals, values, and needs. We're focused very much on the problem, not on the person. We know about that first very basic level of conflict. Level two, personalities and issues start to mix together a little bit. Uh, now, problems cannot be clearly defined. Distrust and the personalizing of a problem come in. This is heavy disagreement, disagreement. We know this one in our homes, I think, most of all. Level three becomes contest. We're in a contest. There are winners and losers. Here come personal attacks, factions, taking sides, distortions of what is really going on. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you will know that we, uh, we are experts at levels one, two, and three of conflict. But 
we generally figure things out. We generally work through it because we really do love each other, even though sometimes it seems like we don't. Next comes level four, which is a much higher level of conflict. We call it fight or flight. We're not really worried about winning anymore. Now we're worried that we have to get rid of all those evil people who don't think like us. (laughs) Our talk takes on the language of principles, not issues. Our strategies involve division and elimination of the other. That's level four. Brubaker said back in 2019, we're clearly at level four as a nation, maybe even leaning heavily into level five, which is the intractable situation. In level five conflict, we don't know what the issues even are anymore. We can't identify the issues. Personalities are the focus. Conflict is unmanageable, and all our energy is spent on the total destruction of those other persons who aren't on our side. We don't even care what's real or accurate anymore in level five conflict. Do do you feel all of this, church? Do do you sense what Brubaker's talking about? Do you think he's right? Is he right? I'm afraid he's close to right. I'm afraid he is. There's one more level. It's called level zero. Level zero conflict afflicts communities of faith in times like this, especially churches. Level zero is depression, but it's depression defined as anger turned inward. That's level zero conflict. The apostle Paul recognized this in Galatians 5.15 way back. He said, we devour one another. We devour one another even in our community of faith, the church of Jesus Christ. We do that in part because of all the chaos around us. We come to our safe place and we unleash our anger on each other because we don't know what else to do with it. We don't know what else to do. How do we, the church of Jesus Christ, stand healthy and strong in the face of all this conflict with Jesus' message of love, reconciliation, forgiveness, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit? How do we love like Jesus in this age of division, especially when even well-meaning Christians listen more to what we hear on the radio than to what we read in our Bibles, especially when we sometimes pay too much attention to talking heads who say, if you don't think and do like I think and do, you can't possibly be a real Christian. Some of our sisters and brothers are so militant in their own rightness that they've lost sight of the righteousness of God, which is marked by humility, grace, kindness, and meekness, not arrogance, know-it-allness, judgment, or anger turned inward. What do we do then? What do we do with all of this? Well, Jesus here in Luke 12, in a stream of teaching about anxiety, Jesus grounds us in a much deeper reality than the one we find on the news. We must remember in all of this that our home is the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong in the kingdom of God. We live here in this world with its many conflicted little kingdoms so that God's kingdom can become an ever-increasing reality in this world. Jesus says, 
Luke 12 and 32, Oh, be not afraid, be not afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then comes our crucial action, that thing that we must do. Jesus says, give up your dependence on the stuff of this world and its many kingdoms. Give it all away to those in need. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of the stuff of this world. Realize that you are thus obtaining a treasure that will never wear out. For where your treasure is, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says there is a direct link between our relationship with the kingdoms and stuff of this world and our ability to live from the kingdom of God. We think about this as a very individualistic thing, but Luke has Jesus here talking to the whole church when he says, little flock. He's talking to all of us together as a community of faith, little flock, little flock. If your treasure is in the wrong place, you will be preoccupied with the division, the hate, the distrust, the rightness of some and the wrongness of others. Your life will be full of anxiety, complaint, a fear that leaves you angry, and maybe even an apathy which neglects the love of God and neighbor in what just may be the most crucial moment of our lives. But If our treasure is in the right place in God's gift, we will be preoccupied with the kingdom of God. We will recognize Jesus, the master, in every moment when he comes home. Verse 37, you'll have your lights burning, your arms open, the house ready. He will come in, bless you with a feast, and treat you as the beloved children that you are. You will have been helping love the world back to life one heart at a time and Jesus will be delighted in you. I must ask you about your preoccupations today. I have to ask that question, where are our hearts? Are they firmly grounded in God's unfolding kingdom given to us as a gift from our loving Father, or are they distracted wavering with fear and apathy, battered by our dogged determination to ride the fence between authentic faith in Jesus and that cheap substitute that fuels the fire of division. Oh, you'll get splinters on that fence. Just ask me how I know about where you get splinters on that fence. I know all about it. Then we must ask, what is this kingdom of God? What is this kingdom of God, the one birthed by an authentic faith in Jesus Old John Wesley said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is righteousness? Well, it's not rightness. That's not what it is. Righteousness is first the love of God in all things. Second, it is the love of neighbor as we love ourselves in all things. It is not conditional. It is not judgmental. It is love which expects nothing in return poured out on this world as a healing balm, a gift from God's heart to yours, from your heart to the world. That's what righteousness looks like, the hopeful, healing, saving will of God getting done in big ways and small in this world right now. And then comes peace. What is, what is peace? Well, you heard it last week. Peace is the shalom of God. Peace with God, peace with each other, 
and a peace that seeks the well-being of all people and all of creation. And then what in the world is joy in the Holy Spirit? Well, it is, Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. It is that twinkle in your eye that just knows how to see God's light at work in the darkest places. It is that assurance that in Jesus, you have been claimed, loved, saved, and set to work for the mission of God. None of this has anything to do with getting your theology exactly right, with having only the most right beliefs, or even having all the right religious answers. The question is, do you live your life with the love of God overflowing from the center of your being or not? That's the question. I don't know about y'all, but I'm kind of done with the apathy. I'm done with the distraction of division and the anger turned inward. I'm, I'm ready to get out there and love like Jesus in the face of this division. It is the only hope our world actually has. To keep that locked up in our anxious little hearts is a sin against God who gives us every gift needed to help all people find themselves sitting at Jesus' table waiting on the feast. That is where the real treasure is to be found. Be not afraid. Be not afraid, little flock. You already know how to love like Jesus. Let's just go do it. Let's go do it together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen.